A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's elements of social media that are very toxic and uh, can get very argumentative and, you know, touch wood because of the the kind of story of of mine and you know the narrative that I'm sort of you know going down uh or creating rather there's I've not really had too much of that you know you kind of get the odd person that might comment and say something about junkies which I don't have any you know I have no issue with that word I refer to myself as a junkie and I understand if someone else gets offended and doesn't want to use that term for themselves but ultimately there's not many words that I take offense at they're just kind of words, do you know what I mean? Today we're joined by a secret drug addict. He's an enigma. He's on Twitter, he does a lot of work for charities. He's also worked with some of the biggest bands in the world and he's got some stories to tell. He really has. So this is Stop and Search on Scooby's Pips Distraction Pieces Network, brought to you by ACAST in association with UK. Here we go. Behind your barricade. Yeah, but how long can I stay? Thank you so much for joining us and we're going to go straight into the episode like usual because it's a big conversation. Not only do we talk about the bands that he's worked with, but we also talk about his journey with recovery and addiction, which he manages to get across with such humility and eloquence. I can't thank him enough for this. So make sure you follow him on Twitter because he does some brilliant works with not just drug addiction, but all sorts of charities, which we also talk about in this episode. So he's at Secret Drug Addict, which is S-C-R-T, Drug Addict. And of course, our Leap UK stuff, which is at UK Leap on Twitter and Instagram and UKLeap.org, our Facebook and website. Right, no further ado, let's get into this with Secret Drug Addict on Stop and Search. I've started recently, I've started listening to um, the Rubber Bandits one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I met them a couple of I mean, they're from Limerick, so... Um, they are really popular at the moment as well. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, yeah, no, he's a smart guy, it's weird, because oh, he's yeah, like, yeah. he's smarter than he, th- he seems. Do, do you know what I mean? You know, mm. if you listen to him talking, he's, you know, he's, he's very well read and... You know about you know lots of different kinds of subjects and stuff. But it, it, it's like you said, once you get into podcasts, you find loads that you like. But it's that initial introduction mm. that's getting. I think there. as well, it's I think it's an age thing. Like you know, my boy watches YouTube. Oh yeah, instead yeah. of telly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think it's like the radio. I think I don't know. I don't think young people 
listen to Radio 1 anymore. No, because I think it has to be on demand, doesn't it? You've got to get the, what you want straight and away. And I think that's the kind of culture with like YouTube. I mean, you, I'd sit and we'd have MTV on for you know for four or five hours during the day on in the background and you'd hear that song and you'd be like, you'd come running in yeah, from the kitchen, yeah. from whatever, you, you're making a sandwich. It's like, no, it's Nirvana on the telly or Sonic, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas now it's like, I want to listen to Sonic Youth. And also, can you remember those channels... I think you can still get them, but you had to phone in. The box. Yeah, the box. Yeah, I used to leave done because I used to great, I had great hip hop. So there was, there was, I remember there was like this Easy E record I used to love. You couldn't, it didn't come out over, you couldn't get hold of it. And you'd be there, yeah, literally for like eight hours waiting yeah. for this three minute song to come on. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but now it's kind of, you know, people want it on demand, like you say. So they want to listen to a specific, you know, podcast about, you know, or something so they can get that on the podcast straight away as opposed to listening to the radio or... I think, do you reckon that's kind of indicative of our society, the fact that we do need everything instantly? I don't think we'd need it. I think we, we have now become accustomed to it. Do you know what I mean? We didn't need it before. It's not like, we, you know, sleep or food or darkness, stuff that, you know, you need. Um, I think, no, but I think as we've, like, like, with, like with the internet and mobile phones, I, um, I'm, I'm horrific on a, on a tube because I can't get on my phone. Do you know what I mean? I, I, you know, I take a book, the books for the, you know, the phones, I'm on the phone when I'm walking down the street constantly. Then I've got my book for when I'm on the tube. Yeah. And even then it still can be a struggle to just try and focus on the book. And I'm a, I used to be a big reader. I, mean, I still am, but not as, as much. And it's, you know, once you're kind of used to something and it's then like taken away, you then really miss it. We didn't miss it before. I mean, like before mobile phones, we, we all managed to meet up and, yeah, how have a social do life do, do you know what I mean and like you know you'd get to places and stuff now it's you know I, d- I wouldn't have been able to find I don't know how I would have found here without it and, exactly the same yeah. you know so so yeah I don't think it's like a need it's just it's, we've, you've become so used to it yeah it kind of folds in in the convenience yeah, yeah. Or, or like learning to put furniture you know flat pack furniture together you know or, or fix something on your computer yeah you go to YouTube yeah you know honestly I would not be able to do anything without Google now because it's like you know, looking up procedural aspects, it's like, oh, all right, how do we do that? And then get Google Images to give yeah. me the simplified version. <clears throat> yeah, 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 completely. So what is it you're reading at the moment? It is Girls to the Front by Sarah Marcus, The True Story of the Right Girl Revolution. Nice. And, um, yeah, it's I'm not really big on nostalgia. I'm not, you know, a lot of my friends, I mean, I'm 41, so a lot of my friends are around my age, you know, still dressed like Liam Gallagher and, you know, still harbour aspirations of being in like a Britpop band, all that kind of stuff, you know, they get excited when they hear bands like Cooler Shaker reforming for tours and whatever. I'm not, I don't, I, I prefer to kind of look forwards. I think if you're looking backwards, you you miss what's going on right now. But um, I am enjoying it and it is it is making me feel nostalgic for being a kid again. Funny enough, because we had that conversation, didn't we, that um, you were saying about some of the things you were doing and I said, well, actually, I'm really nostalgic. Well, yeah, yeah, we did, didn't we? Because I, I do. I, I, I found myself lately Googling long plays of Mega Drive games and, and really quirky TV programmes and things like that. And there is a comforting aspect to it of like, oh, that was what it used to be like. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I, I, yeah, no, I, I think so. And also as well, it, it takes you back to how you felt at that time. Do you know what I mean? Like I, went, I went to see um, Bikini Kill have just reformed and they played last night and Monday night. And I bought tickets and it's probably the first concert since... 92 that I bought tickets for. And uh, I go to quite a lot of concerts. You know, obviously, you know, working for the music industry, you've got lots, lots of freebies and you have lots of friends that can get you freebies. But 
I was there was a possible you know there's always a possible chance that there might be a problem with the guest list. So I was like, I don't want to miss it. So I, I was, you know, nine o'clock, five past nine tickets on sale, whatever. I, I bought them and we went along, and um, and it was just great. It was just full of women that were, you know, would have been teenagers like I was back then. The kind of girls that I used, to, you know, I, I grew up fancying, and we were sort of, you know, trying to, you know, trying to go out with when we were kids and that. And it was just, it it was it was um, it was a nice moment of nostalgia. And it took me back. To the, uh, the 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 youthful excitement of like being fifteen or or whatever, but but yeah, now generally I think that if you're looking backwards, then you're missing what's going on right now, and I, and I think art, you know, and I include music in that, is it's most kind of powerful at the moment of release. Do, do you know what I mean? So as much as I don't know, um, Scream of Delicate by Primal Scream, which is you know a fantastic record, still sounds great today. It doesn't sound anything like it did the day it came out. When you listen to it, and it was like I've never heard anything like this before. And there's music like that now being created somewhere by someone in a bedroom or, or somewhere. And if I'm still listening to Scream of Delica today, I'm sort of missing what you know, whoever this kid is making whatever he's making, you know. So, but I grew up. I mean, my I think my biggest musical inspiration was probably John Peel who was, you know, most people like, you know, right, like say our age, they kind of, you know, they got music from when they were a kid and that's that's what they're into. Whereas John Peel, I mean, he died in 2004 and he was playing, he was playing grime records as a, I think he was in his mid-60s, I think, I think he was 65 when he died, something early, early to mid-60s. And he was playing, you know, Norwegian death metal, he was playing grime music, he was playing, you know, grime Grime didn't really get big till, what, 2008 maybe. So he was, you know, he'd been dead four or five years and the music that he was playing suddenly was kind of coming, was bubbling to the surface. And I always kind of, I always loved that about him was that no matter how old he got, he was always looking for something new and different. And I find, I find that, and I think that kind of, that keeps you young yeah. as well. There's an element of that that, you know, it, it keeps you youthful. I think, yeah, there's a definite mix. You need to totally be in the moment and look forward and then part of me still just can't surrender that I think and what is is nostalgia is more attainable now because we've got access to it because before we had to conjure it up we had to think just checking with John is, is it alright John we right to go cool yeah John <laughs> breaking the fourth wall <laughs> and I've got your toilet fob as well um, so basically we're off so um, but what 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 was I saying? Nostalgia. So what I'd like to do, if it's all right, is how do I address you? Do I address you as secret drug addict, or do I address you as something else? What is your persona? Um, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I suppose just a secret drug addict. I mean, yeah. you're only going to say at the beginning, aren't you? And then you just talk, and it's obviously you're asking me, so. You won't have to keep saying it, but yeah, just go with that. Yeah, because yeah. because uh, like I don't want to kind of give over any identity. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, entirely yeah, up yeah, to yeah. you how much you want to kind of. Well, my ego is like I want everyone to know who I am and how how successful I am on on in in the the the, the real world of social media. Yeah. But um, but then also as well, it's good for me to kind of have some sort of separation from because I don't you know the I mean I'll, I'll talk about yeah you know, I'll talk about why I've, I picked the name. 
you know, when we're into it or whatever. But um, but yeah, just go with that. Go yeah. Um, so I'm really lucky to be joined by a Secret Drug Addict, which is one of the best names we've had on this podcast, I think. Um, so can, can we cr- briefly explain why you are a Secret Drug Addict? Because it's predominantly your social media accounts, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you can, can you give a little bit of backstory to that, if you don't mind? Um, well, initially I started it up as a charity with a friend of mine. So we started up a charity and we started up social media platforms and it all kind of went sideways and I was left with these platforms and it was like an addiction and mental health charity and I didn't really know what to do with it. So I kind of had to change the name and I didn't really want to use my name for for a number of reasons. One being I didn't think it was kind of good for my ego to sort of put myself out there and, you know... um, and the other being that I kind of I wanted a little I wanted to keep a little bit a little, I wanted to keep a little something back for myself, you know, rather than putting everything on social media, which some people kind of and that's fine if they if they want to do it, but I th- I feel some sometimes people have a habit of oversharing maybe, and what I didn't want to be was be sort of defined by being a a drug addict, you know, that's part of kind of who I am, but I'm a sort of a rounded human being, so I don't want to be oh you're that you're that drug addict guy or so the secret drug addict is part of who I am and it's something that I do on social media and then I go about my real life when I'm not and you know I'm, I'm totally transparent about it everybody knows me knows I'm in recovery from addiction people I meet I you know I'm quite happy to talk about it um, you know I, I disclose it to anyone that's interested to hear about it I don't approach people in pubs and start just telling them about it do you know what I mean but I'm not secretive because someone messaged me the other week and was like, oh, what? you know, and they're talking about stigma attached to addiction and stuff and said, you know, it, it might help if, you know, if you weren't so secret. And I was like, well, it's not so much I'm secret. It's more that I'm just a bit private. Do, do you know what I mean? Totally. Because just before we went on, on air with the mics, I, I was saying to you that I've got a degree of empathy for what you're saying because I've spoken recently with Pip, the, the podcast boss of this network, about my illness, and it was just it was just so weird having that conversation because I've I've written about my illness, I've spoken about using it on social media, but it's still like you said that holding something back because it things like that are intrinsically private because they're, they're journeys that you've gone through. So to to have that conversation on a mic, it is weird and difficult, isn't it? Yeah. And do you find that the social media accounts you've got because your social media game is like really good (laughs) it's so so good do you find that that gives you a degree of being buffered or do you still invest into your social media accounts um in what context what do you mean do you still find that your social media accounts allow you to kind of just be reserved back a little bit because it is secret drug addict yeah 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 completely i mean i can i can share whatever i like and you know it's it's all authentic whatever i say is you know it's authentic but by the same token because nobody knows who it is and i've had people it's weird i've had people comment on it like comment posts or that i know that i sort of you know they're friends of friends but they don't know that they're commenting on my on my my tweet or my facebook post or or whatever but um but yeah you can you can sort of share whatever you want but because it's kind of there's no name to it it's it, it allows me yeah to kind of just you know keep keep slightly reserved and and kind of uh, I don't know what's the right word for it but yeah no and it's like you said um, as well that being in the now the moment this modern day technology that we've got with social media it certainly helps 
to keep you grounded in the very much the now. And I think with what you were saying with your, your previous background and not necessarily being nostalgic, um, do you think that plays any part in your social media use as well and that, that you are striving for outreach through this new platform? Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's, you know, I remember talking to somebody who worked in the music industry very, very early on with MySpace. Oh, wow. And um, and they were like, no, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not going to be a thing. It's a fad. It doesn't work. And I was like, I'm connecting with people through it. So it, it does work. Yeah. It absolutely does. And <clears throat> with, um, yeah, you know, with, with sort of social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, Instagram, it's... Um, it's fantastic the way it allows people from you know all around the world to kind of share ideas, communicate, ask for help, ask for you know whatever, share whatever it is that they they want. I know there's elements of social media that are very toxic and uh, can get very argumentative, and you know touch wood because of the the kind of story of of mine and you know the narrative that I'm sort of you know going down uh, or creating rather. There's I've not really had too much of that. You know, you kind of get the odd person that might comment and say something about junkies, which I don't have any, you know, I have no issue with that word. I refer to myself as a junkie. And I understand if someone else gets offended and doesn't want to use that term for themselves. But ultimately, there's not many words that I take offence at. They're just kind of words. Do you know what I mean? But um, but yeah, you might get some, you might get the odd person that kind of tries to be abusive or... Or just gets very angry about the fact, you know, they're, they're insistent that addiction is a, is a choice, you know. And generally these are people with no lived experience or no um, no qualifications in and around that that area, do you know what I mean? So again, it's kind of, I tend to not, not really sort of let it affect me. So let's give a plug to the account straight away. So what is your Twitter handle? <clears throat> I am the secret drug addict and that is, my at is... S C R T D R U G A Double D I C T. Right, and I'll put that as a link scrolling across. If you're listening on the Acast app, it'll be going across right now. Um, but it's, you, you've done some ingenious work, though, with the way that you spread out, because you, you are one of the people that has formed uh, an alliance, as it were, with someone that's pretty public figured. And can you explain what that dynamic is and how it works? Um, yeah, well, it's, it kind of in, it kind of came about in kind of a quite a weird way. So I one of the one of the other, one of the many things that I do is I um, I uh, help support the Gay Gooners, who are the Arsenal LGBT plus football supporters club. They're an official supporters club, and they are the UK's first and world's biggest LGBT plus football supporters club. So um, I help them with their social media. I'm a, I'm a national supporter, so I'm a, I'm a member of the fan, uh, the, the supporters club, um, and do loads of stuff sort of behind the scenes, you know, with Arsenal um, around, you know, sort of a Rainbow Laces Day and, and, and Pride Month and stuff. And during one of our campaigns, um, Neville started following us and started retweeting some of our content. Can you just Neville? Oh, sorry, Neville Southall. <laughs> just the Neville Southall. I Who. Um, was Everton's goalkeeper, and he was goalkeeper for the Wales national team. And, and according to my dad, damn, damn good as well. He was phenomenal. He was, during the mid-80s, pro- probably the best goalkeeper in the world. And, you know, definitely, uh, he's named as one of the 100 best ever footballers. 
of all time. So, um, so yeah, so Neville, I mean, Neville's just um, an enigma. I mean, a lot of people try, a lot of people like to talk to me about Neville when they find out I do, I do bits with him. And, you know, if, I suppose if anyone doesn't know what he does on Twitter, he's like a, a 60-year-old white Welsh man from the Valleys who is um, really interested in addiction, mental health, sex worker rights, and uh, LGBT plus rights. Um, you know, which is really surprising when you think if anyone was going to be really open-minded and progressive in their thinking, it wouldn't be a 60-year-old white man from the Valleys. Do, do you know what I mean? So um, so that in itself is a fantastic story. So, um, so yes, yeah, so me and Neville kind of started talking and... and you know, retweeting content and stuff. He, he basically he kind of saw that the, you know a lot of people I think with mental health issues. I know for myself when I was kind of in in the midst of my addiction, <clears throat> and my mental health wasn't great as well. The nighttime can be quite a a dark place. You know, it's there's no there's nothing to kind of stimulate you. There's nothing to kind of distract you from yourself. Everybody else, you know, all your friends are in bed asleep or, you know, they've got whatever they're doing. And so you're kind of alone. And I know that I used to find it quite, quite difficult during, you know, 11 till 4 in the morning before I could finally sort of, you know, would crash out or whatever. And he, he asked me if I'd be interested in taking over his Twitter account at night time and um, basically just, you know, offering support to anyone with addiction or mental health issues that was, you know, or just anyone that's lonely. So I started doing that on a Monday, and so I do it from nine until two, and I also do it on a Friday, nine until two, every Monday and every Friday on, on Neville Southall's account. And it's kind of we've you know it's it's progressed now to where we're we book um, charities or campaigners or or whatever to um, to take over Neville's account between seven and nine. Maybe a couple of times a week. So tomorrow night, for example, we've got a Save the Children doing a thing on on, on Neville's account. Um, we've had lots of <clears throat> sex worker groups, you know, advocacy groups, and um, you know, groups that are sort of uh, pro like decriminalisation for sex workers. Um, I've got Refuge doing one soon. Um, I've got an organisation called Girls Against that are kind of a interfeminist group that are around, you know, it's around sort of um, safety, uh, women's safety at uh, festivals. So we, it's a really, it's really, really broad. Anyone that's kind of, you know, we've had groups that do um, stuff around uh, uh, debt management, do, do you know what I mean? All that kind of, and it's just a great platform, it's just a great platform for them because it allows them to connect with an audience that they wouldn't normally speak to. So I think, you know, social media is such a, an echo chamber. You know, people that follow me are interested in the stuff that I talk about. That's why they follow me. So they all agree with me, you know, and that's great because it makes me feel good and I get lots of likes and lots of positive comments. But ultimately, if you're looking to instigate change or educate people, I'm taught, you know, I'm preaching to the converted. Whereas, whereas Neville has 150,000 followers and they're football fans, they're you know, a large percentage of the LGBT community, a huge transgender following, a huge following of sex workers, of, uh, you know, socialists, of, 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 you know, of left, kind of left-wing progressive kind of uh, individuals. So it's just a real mix, a real mishmash, and lots of MPs as well and stuff. So it's a real mishmash of, of 
people, basically. So it just allows you to let people know what who you are, what you're doing, uh, if you're fundraising for something, you know, anything like that. It's and it's, it's good. I enjoy. It. I really enjoy it. It's you know, it's just something that I do with you know, I help Neville with. It's you know, it's unpaid. It's just something that we do, and um, but it's it's. I feel it's really positive. You it, know, it makes you feel good. It's it is genuinely brilliant because, as you said, to to try and get a spread on on social media of different opinions. Uh, and attract different opinions can be difficult because you you quite often are angled at people who are like-minded. So when you've got someone like Neville that offers up his social media account, like you said, because he's got a different different following, it really, really helps. It really gets new people interested in the subjects that they might not be having their eyes open to in the everyday world. And that's why I can't take my hat off to you enough for, for the relationship you've got going here. Because, I mean, one of the reasons we do this podcast for that very reason is that we get a public figure, they bring with them a certain audience, and then we can raft out on on their following. Um, Is there any chance, do you think, that this will take off and that other other celebrities that are a bit more philanthropic will get this and start using their social media account for spreading the good word, as it were? I don't think so, no. No? Um, No, I I mean, it would be great if you consider someone like... Russell Brand, for example, who's very vocal about addiction and stuff, and he's great the stuff that Russell says. You know, I mean, I you know I know Russell through recovery, and he's he's fantastic, and he, you know, I know I know lots of people that he's helped that you know it doesn't ever get spoken about. It's only this person will go, oh, Russell did this for me, and he go, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Um, but you know, so he talks about recovery a little bit on his, <clears throat> you know, on social media and stuff. Like he just did something today for Drug Fam, yeah. yeah, and um, but. You know, you think Neville's got 150,000 followers and off the back of, you know, my my relationship with Neville, I get maybe 30 messages a week of people, family members, people suffering, you know, struggling with addiction, don't know where to go or just, you know, they're, 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 they're sober, but they're struggling and they just want some support. And, you know, so I get about 30 messages a week, which is, fan, you know, fantastic. If you think about what someone like Russell could get, if he allowed his account to be taken over of 12 million people or, or anyone else, do you know what I mean? I'm not just, you know, I'm not saying Russell should, you know, I mean, Russell does enough good and, you know, he's a bit marmite. Some people love him, some people don't, but, you know, whatever. But, I mean, my experience with these kind of takeovers on the, these, these Twitter takeovers is they're genuinely used by record companies or football clubs to promote something of theirs. So you might get you know, Sony Music might allow one of their artists to do a Q&A takeover on the Sony account. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially, it's, a, it's, it's, to, it's to promote the band to make money at the end of the day. And, or, you know, to promote their product. So as to letting the, or a group or an organisation take over your account to kind of promote themselves, I, I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's, never, it's not happened so far, I don't think. As far as I'm aware, Neville is the only person that's kind of stepped up to the plate. You know. It's breaking new ground, isn't it? I don't know of anyone else that's doing it as well. Is it? Is it his own concept? That he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he just he just one day started. Tw- I think he tweeted something about transgender people, and I think he got his his pronouns all fucked up because he just you know just out of ignorance cause he yeah. didn't know, <clears throat> and someone corrected him, and rather than blocking them, <laughs> you know, Neville was like. You know, he was just like, oh, I'm, you know, I didn't mean to, you know, if I, if I said something that was offensive or basically, you know, apologised and, and asked them, you know, and 
there was this really kind of sweet, you know, and that's what I love about social media. You can follow arguments or you can follow conversations. Yeah. You, know, you can just read the thread. <laughs> so and, just, and you stick in the Michael Jackson popcorn <laughs> uh, emoji, you know what I mean? Uh, um, uh, um, meme, rather. And um, so there was this thing, when, and this back and forth between Neville and this trans person about correct pronouns. And, and, and Neville was, like, really open to learning. And it just kind of, for him, it kind of, I think it took off from there, where suddenly... He like picked up like twenty thousand followers like overnight. Do you know what I mean? Of all you know from the LGBT community, and started kind of you know talking to them and and just and and learning. And that's one of the things that I I mean he's a, you know Neville's a few years older than me. As a forty year old man, my mind is quite closed. You know I know what I know and my views are my views. And by doing this stuff. You know, especially with Neville, with the you know, with the LGBT community, with the gay gooners stuff that I do, you know, with the sex workers, um, you know, all this this kind of stuff. It's like it's really kind of educated me as to you know, in in stuff that I hadn't really because it's not part of my world. You just don't really consider it. Do you, do you know what I mean? You know, around sort of the autonomy of sex workers and the stuff. I mean, for example, uh, it's not illegal to be a sex worker. It's illegal for two women to work out the same property, though. That becomes a brothel. So now, now what you're talking about is women having to work alone, and then there's like safety issues and do, do you know what I mean? Stuff that yeah. just you know it didn't occur to me. I didn't notice. Why you know why would I think about it? And um, yeah, and so Neville kind of for him it kind of went. It started with this kind of being interested to him, kind of seeing that there was you know there was there was an opportunity to kind of support people or help people. These you know via his 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 Twitter and his platform. And, you know, all I can say is it is it, you know, it works. It works. Like, you know, I, I have lots of followers, lots of followers. I have about 13,000 followers, uh, which I picked up over the last year and a half or something, right, which is not, you know. And I get, say, 30 messages a week of people. I, I got loads of messages over Christmas from people that were like, I've, um, you know, I've got, I've, I've got a week clean. I've got my week sober. I, I've started going to AA meetings, NA meetings, whatever, you know, like I don't. I don't try and push people into my type of recovery if, they're, if that's what they're looking for. I would just kind of give them options and say, you know, this might help you for this or maybe you should speak to your, your GP. Just simple stuff. Yeah. That, and I think especially at this, at this time when, you know, with austerity cuts and, and people kind of, you know, having these huge cuts to, to services they would maybe engage with and the pressures of life anyway, you know, a lot of people, they just they don't know where to go. Or they, they kind of do, but they just want to be told. Do, do you know what I mean? So, you know, I don't do anything kind of too kind of abstract or, or you know, it's, it's basic stuff. And, um, you know, I say I get, I get lots of messages from people kind of saying, you know, it was really helpful. You, you know, fantastic. Thanks for your advice. Or, you know, my, my brother's gone back into rehab now. So, you know, thanks for the support, blah, blah, blah. And it's, um, it feels good. It feels great. You know, I tend to... I've seen some people, you know, they will tweet about it. You know, I got a fantastic message, to, you know, today of somebody who told me I'd much I'd helped them. Or, and I just like, you know, my ego can't, I can't get into that because it's just not, it's not healthy for me personally, you know. I know that I've kind of done it and that's, that has to be enough. Do, do you know what I mean? But, um, but the fact that I'm getting these messages and the fact that this, you know that it's happening is is kind of testament to the fact that it it does it does work, and if more people allowed their their platforms to be used for rather than doing um 
you know, sponsored posts, yeah. you know, in conjunction with a slimming tea or whatever the fuck they're selling, you know, the world would be a st- maybe a tiny bit better. Yeah, if, if we sold concepts and ideas and, and dialogue as opposed to goods and products, yeah. you know, what a simple product, uh, what a simple idea and notion that would be. But we don't seem to... We're, I think we're still struggling in this modern age to to use social media for good because, like you said, it can go an opposite way. It can be an addiction in itself. Yeah. It, it can promote some harmful things. But we we, ha- we do have to acknowledge the fact that it can be a force for good because, as you said, you've got lived experience in this. People have sought you out yeah. to to be a point of solace. You know, of what you know, you're the first line of what what can I do? And do you find a responsibility that goes with that? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, every time you kind of get, every time I get a message, I'm always like, just take a moment, read it four or five times, I think about what you're gonna kind of say because yeah, there is, there is a big responsibility and, you know, a lot of trust as well because the, the, the because the account is anonymous, people don't even know who I am. They don't even know who they're asking for help. So, you know, I mean, that kind of, that for me shows how. You know, you're looking. At, I keep. I do talk a lot about austerity, um, but it's so generally. But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're talking about sort of an, you know addiction, mental health, youth services, it's like you know they've gutted them. And if someone is on Twitter asking an anonymous account for help, for me that kind of says, you know, where where are we at? Like you know, that's that's you know that should be the last thing that they do. Do you know what I mean? Because God knows what kind of advice they're going to be getting. Luckily, you know, I'm not a uh, maniac. Do, 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 do you know, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, totally. But no, I do take it very, I do take it very, very seriously. And I try to treat it with the sort of respect and, and uh, that I would a job. Do, do you know what I mean? If someone, if I was getting paid for it. But um, yeah, so yeah, no, I, I do, I do take it with quite a level of like serious responsibility yeah and, and how do you find it having been through addiction yourself do you find that your social interaction around the subject is it easy or do you still have to stop and think and and assess your own character and how it's affecting you no i find it i find it very easy i'm very i think a lot of people in the real world that i talk to about addiction that know me you know like mates of mine that, that i know from through recovery or, or whatever they, they, you know, they they'll seek me out for conversations because I'm very grounded and very down to earth um, about addiction and about you know the, the the emotional stuff that comes comes with it, you know, and I, and also as well, I've got quite you know I've got a sense of humour about it. I mean, I think if you, I know some people are <clears throat> they'll see. I think there was. Um, oh, I can't remember the T-shirt now. There was no, there wasn't. A, sorry, there was a there was a. A billboard in America that said something about um, essentially it was talking about the price of therapy. You know, therapy's X amount of dollars an hour. Um, a bottle of wine is like five dollars. Right. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, and I, I I find it kind of funny, you know. So I posted it on on my Twitter, and you know, some people were like, "That's a disgrace." You know, they shouldn't be doing this. And I'm kind of going, I get where they're coming from, but you know, I also have a laugh. Do, do you know what I mean? And uh, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'll be talking talking to people. And you're talking about how you know when it's like five o'clock in the morning and you've 
you know you've been up for two days doing loads of coke and you know you've got a, you know you, you've got a porn film on and you're you know you're dripping in sweat and you're like stumbling about the house in your boxer shorts you know that's funny <laughs> i mean if you can picture that image there's a i mean there's a level of comedy to that i mean obviously the reality is is that it was like traumatic as fuck <laughs> do, do you know yeah. what i mean but by the same token you know if you, you i think you you have to have a laugh and i think especially as i'm I'm so far removed from drinking or using drugs that I'm able to sort of do that. Do, do, do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, some people sense. say if they're in their first six months or first year or two, the trauma is still real. Do, do you know what I mean? But I am sim- by, by, by the same token, I'm very sympathetic to other people that you know they have the right to be offended. They have the right to you know to to keep themselves safe or or whatever. But yeah, talking to people about using and, and or sobriety you know recovery on social media i don't i don't really use the word trigger i don't it doesn't affect me the only time i've had anything was once it was just for christmas and a guy someone messaged me saying somebody on their somebody's popped up on their feed threatening to kill themselves and i'm kind of like oh, i'm not really sure what i'm supposed to do like you know, I, I looked at the person, you know, I, saw, I was like, well, who is it? And they sent me their, their, their at, and I'd look at the page. <clears throat> they're not in London, so I can't even, like, arrange, you know, ask them if they want to meet up. Um, so I messaged the guy. I don't think, I don't know if I messaged the guy. I think I commented somebody else because somebody tagged me, they, they, they might have tagged me in or something. I, I don't like to approach people. I'm not some sort of, you know, I don't, you know, I'm available to talk to you. But you've got to ask. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't like sort of you know being some codependent type. Going, I saw a post earlier of yours, and I just wanted to check you were okay. And you know, if I'm available, you know, when people tag me and stuff, I say, you know, if the, it, my DMs are open, and then if they, you know, they reach out, I'm quite happy to give them my time. So, so whatever happened, I, I ended up sort of in conversation with this person, and then suddenly these images came through of their forearm with cuts on them, were quite deep cuts you know the, and um i'm sat down in the i'm sat in my front room with my kids with a telly on and i'm like i don't and i did i felt upset you know which is weird because i say i don't normally get triggered by stuff like but i was like i wasn't expecting it it's a little bit out of my remit and then there's the stuff like the powerlessness that comes it's like there's nothing i can do i'm sure this guy's not going to kill himself but if he does i will carry some guilt i suppose that you know uh, you know should i have done more could i have done more what could i have done do you know what i mean so all i could kept saying to him was you know if you if you feel this way you need to go to a and e right now do, do you know what i mean you need to call it or call an ambulance you need to do something and, and he just was basically refusing and the messages were very garbled and very confused and in the end i just kind of i had to stop engaging do, do you know what I mean? And then mm. suddenly the person that, that initially flagged them to me inboxed me and I was like, and I explained what happened. And I said, I can't, I can't do anymore. There's nothing I can do. Do you know what I mean? But you tried. You, you <coughs> yeah, understood. yeah, yeah. But that, I mean, other yeah. than that, everything has been positive and I've mm. never had an issue kind of talking about addiction. And and it's a, it's a really special day because it was pure coincidence it's worked out this way. But today holds significance for you, doesn't it? Yeah, today I am 12 years abstinent from drink and drugs. Which is just amazing, 12 years, that's just... Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, I, I sort of tweeted 
I tweeted something about it last week, and um, Catherine, who is does the radio show with Ian Lee, right? Catherine's, you know, she's lovely. She, like, she kind of tweeted, she, was, she tweeted me back and like, congratulations, and I said, I'm still not even quite sure how how I managed it. And she was like, one day at a time, you know, question mark. And of course, yes, you know, it's one day at a time, and that's an old AA expression, and and you know, and I I buy into that, but. Taken, you know, taken away from that, the, you know, you think 12 years, I, I genuinely, I'm not quite sure how I've managed to stay around, how I've managed to to do it. Do, do you know what I mean? I mean, my, my recovery has been, it's been quite, I mean, there's been moments where it's been kind of absolutely like insane to the point where like my f- six, two, six weeks clean Thing I'll say, again, I, I use the term clean. Some people get very offended when you say clean. Like, you weren't dirty to start with. I'm kind of going, you know what? When you put as much drink and drugs in your body as I did, and you're soaked in a layer of, like, sweat from, you know, detoxing, you're not washing yourself very often and your clothes are dirty. I was kind of, you know, I was dirty and that, you know, I felt I felt toxic. But, but again, anyway, yes, yeah, so I was about six weeks abstinent and my, my flatmate killed his mum in a crack psychosis so I had that to kind of deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, I came home, I'd been at a meeting, I'd been at an NA meeting at the Priory, I came home and um, to be told, yeah, that he'd like, you know, he'd, he'd gone around his mum's house, stabbed his mum to death, he'd left his dad in intensive care. His dad, like, his dad was in bed next to her and, and pretended, like, he pretended to be dead. That's the only reason he survived, was because he thought he was dead. And then he went over the road and tried to kill his sister, he, he tried to break into her house but couldn't couldn't get in. So he he got arrested two days later. That was like August two thousand seven, I think. So I had all that. I uh, I lost my house in recovery at two years clean. Ended up homeless in a hostel. Um, you know, my mum's died in recovery. Uh, I found out my younger brother was smoking crack and shooting heroin when I was three, three and a half years clean, something like that, three and a half years. Um, and then the usual stuff, you know, you break up with girlfriends, you, you know, just life stuff. Do, do you know what I mean? And the fact that I've been able to kind of continue recovery through all of that, as well as just, you know, being able to deal with, like, running out of milk. Do you know what I mean? You know, you get up and you go make a cup of tea and there's no milk there. And it's like, I've, I need to go and score. I can't deal with this today. You know, that's my natural kind of default setting. So, um, yeah, to, you know, to kind of go through all that and, you know, jobs, losing jobs, stressful days at work, et cetera, et cetera. And to reach, I don't know, it's like four and a half thousand days or something. Now. I don't know. I've got it in my phone somewhere. But, um, yeah, I can't believe I've, I've sort of, I'm here, really. Do you know, I've never been able to to do anything for very long I've never kept a job or a relationship for this long you know so it's and it's like you said yeah. that, that life doesn't stop when you're in recovery so you've got all these other things like you, you, perfect example running out of milk and how that affects you um, how have you found it within that 12 year period has everyday life got better and easier or you, is it still a struggle that you have um, to deal with I mean it's got easier simply because I, I kind of have an awareness now do you know what I mean? Like I'm like coming here today. It started raining, and I got I'm a little bit lost. And because it's raining, my phone gets wet, so I can't scroll on my my screen because it's not taking my thumb. So my first thought is like, oh fuck it, I'm going home. Do 
you know what I mean? You know, if, you know, and, and that would not, you know, when I was, you know, before that would be, you know, going to go home and get stoned or go, you know, go up the pub and have a fucking drink, just turn my phone off. So that stuff can really, you know, there was a moment or two where I was like, I was, I was fuming. It's just raining. Do you know what I mean? But um, now I'm aware of that. So I'm like, you know what? Just take a minute. It's going to be all right. No one's, no one's died. Just, you know, take a moment. Go somewhere dry, wipe your phone screen and find out where you've got to go and just get there. So it's easier in, in that sense. But I still, you know, initially on the surface, the, the, you know, the stuff that would overwhelm me, which is like really basic stuff, like, you know, running out of milk, like, you know, stuff like that. You know, stuff that most of, I assume most other people kind of uh, are able to just do, you know. Um, it's still yeah, it can st- it's still it's still there. But now I, I just kind of have a way of sort of kind of going, you're working through it. Do, do you know what I mean? And kind of going, you know what, that's not real. Just let it go. And being mindful of your own processes, knowing that reactionary period of something going wrong, how your reaction to that would be. Yeah, I expect that's quite useful. Kind of yeah, knowing yeah, yourself. yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely, completely. I mean, my life is you know, as I, you know, as, as life got easier. I mean, it, it ha- yeah, it has, it has. As I say, because I'm aware now, I've got kids now. You know, I've got I've got a wife now, so my life is more difficult. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know, my kids are a nightmare, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, no, they're not. But you know, my life is a lot more complicated. You know, I have to be at a certain places at certain times. I've got to do stuff with the kids, and the, you know, but life is is easier. You know, I kind of have a way of sort of navigating through it that that works. You know, and and you know, for the most part, I'm kind of happy. Like someone, 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 I, I tweeted up something about being clean a little while ago x amount of days you know drug free blah 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 blah. and someone went back but are you happy and i went well sometimes i mean it's like i'm not a giggling idiot do, do, do you know yeah. what i mean it's like you know stopping doing drugs and coming into recovery it don't it it doesn't change life as such life is gonna like you said life's gonna happen you know, I you know I, I you know I had to bury my mum when my daughter was two weeks old. You know, I hadn't spoken to my mum. I hadn't spoken to my mum in fourteen years when she died. The night before she died, <clears throat> my dad said to me, "I finally told your mum that you're, you've had a baby, and she wants a picture." That he rung me up eight or nine hours later and said, "Your mum's dead." You know, so it's like you know, life is gonna come at you, and some days are good, and some days it's raining and you're lost. And other days the sun's shining, you're out with the kids, you, you know. So it's like, you know, are you, you know, are you happy? It's kind of like, well, yeah, sometimes. That's but that's but what it is when I am happy, it, there's an authenticity to it. Do you know what I mean? And when I'm sad, there's an authenticity to that. And you know, this, this, you know, the great thing about recovery is you get your feelings back. And the bad thing about recovery is you get feelings back. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah, a lot of people have said that exact thing. That yeah, that your feelings and your emotive energy it's it's a force of good, and it can also be quite troublesome for that reason. You know, you're you're finally feeling because you're not yeah. masking things. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Um, can I can I ask if I may, of course. what your roots into addiction were. Do you know sort of how it, how, what the what? story process is? I mean, I know, I know how I ended up where I ended up. I'm not sure, like, why, do you know what I mean? I'm not one of those people that kind of looks for a reason as to why I'm, why I'm an addict. Do, do you know, is it nature, is it nurture? I, I don't know. All I know is, is that <clears throat> from a very small child, I was obsessive and compulsive about stuff collecting i love to collect well go on what what so um well you know as a kid it was comics yeah. and records i mean i've still got first record i ever bought was um beastie boy seven inch of uh girls she's crafty on the b-side right it was 1986 i've still got it right i've not you know i've still my comics they've they've just been put in the bin like a couple of months ago my boy I went to my younger brother who, who didn't like comics. I didn't have any respect for him, so he, he destroyed them. Then I got him back, and I, my son's just gone through them now, and because of all these like Avenger films and stuff. So he's 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 just gone through them, but they 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 they're done. They've not you know they're missing covers, and so they've all gone in the bin finally. To um you know recently it was like sports memorabilia, so I've got an insane collection of boxing gloves, signed football boots. Um, just all sorts of tat like that, really. I've, I'm trying to sort of stop because it's uh, there's no more room in the house for stuff. Do you know what I mean? I've got like signed posters rolled up in corners, and but you know, I've got a bin bag of football boots in the bedroom under the bed. It's like not even on display. Do you know what I mean? I think the only thing I've got on display is um, I've got some signed running spikes by Usain Bolt. Oh, nice. From when I met Bolt, yeah, yeah, they're cool. They're the gold ones that he wore. Not that he didn't wear these ones, but they're the same ones. They're the gold Puma ones that he wore at the uh, the Olympics. So yeah, so I um, so I've always been kind of obsessive and compulsive, and and very kind of um, internalized. You know, overthink a lot, and. I say a lot. I don't know. I don't know if that's normal for, for kids. Do, do you know what I mean? Like I, I talk about, I've spoken to them before about how um, I felt very uncomfortable as a teenager and quite suicidal. And part of me is like, is that, isn't that normal for a teenager? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I just know what's normal for me. And um, so, yes, yeah, so I was always kind of like, I was always that kind of way inclined. I always felt uncomfortable 
there was always a discomfort in my in my in my my own skin. Do you know what I mean? And then when I started drinking, I was twelve or something. It, I just felt a bit better about myself. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't even like oh, I'm drunk and doing stupid shit like my mates. It was just like I just felt at ease. You know, and I, I didn't even know that was what I was. You know, I didn't. It wasn't like I was looking for that. It just that that just seemed to happen. So you do it more. And then I ended up in a women's refuge in Wales with my mum. I think I was nearly thirteen, about twelve and a half or something, thirteen. <clears throat> and so I'd kind of gone from North London, from you know, from Camden Town to to this refuge in in Wales in this village, and that was a real culture shock, you know. So I spent about six months there and couldn't really kind of handle it. So I came back to London and didn't go back to school. So I left school at like thirteen and met this guy who ran nightclubs and managed bands. So I got a job flyering, just standing outside nightclubs and gigs, giving out flyers to his, his club night. And the club night happened, it was called Syndrome, and it was on Oxford Street, it was on Thursdays. And it was, I didn't realise at the time, but it was like the coolest indie club, like ever. Like, you know, if Kurt Cobain would come down if he was in London. Um, you'd have bands like, you know, Ride, Blur, all these old chapter house, all these kind of, they were all very small, but this was before Britpop, so these were the big indie bands, do you know what I mean? They were like, they'd play in London to maybe 1,500 people, right? but they were, they were the huge, big bands at the time. And um, through that, I just kind of, you know, met loads of people that worked in and out, you know, in the music industry and and ended up kind of in the music industry, basically, as a, as a consequence of that. And, <clears throat> you know... Um, I like doing drugs, I like drinking, so did it more. And I, at the time, you, you know, I, 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 it, it was kind of, inc- I don't know if it was, it was encouraged. It was like, you know, you, you got a job in the music industry because, you know, you want, you know, I'd read the books. I'd read about Led Zeppelin on tour. I'd read about Aerosmith, you know, Guns N' Roses, um, you know, Nirvana. You know, I wanted some of that. You know, that was what, as, as well as the music, it was the lifestyle that, that came with it and the chaos. I was attracted to the chaos. I remember I remember reading about um, Sean Ryder and they were going off to record in Barbados and um, he dropped his, um, he dropped his uh, methadone, his bottle of methadone at the airport and smashed it and all the methadone went everywhere and he was like trying to scoop it up with bits of glass in it. And, he's, and they, they go to Barbados and... There's no, you know, there's no heroin, there's no methadone out there. So he just gets on the crack. And it's, it's absolutely fucking chaos there, like selling bits of furniture out of the recording studio. And I just thought this sounds like the most amazing, like, recording session. Do you know what I mean? I want to be part of that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it kind of, you know, it, it, you know it, it kind of ended up there really for me um, to the point where I was working with, I was working at Oasis's record company and I um, was doing a lot of drugs. I split up with a girl that I was seeing, so I started doing more drugs to kind of, you know, medicate myself through that difficult situation, and um, and ended up in in a really kind of bad place where I could I couldn't stop. And it was like, you know, I'm doing my dream job. I'm 18 years old, I think, at this time. 19. I'm doing my dream job. I've got a three bedroom house that I live in on my own. You know, I've got, you know, in the middle of Camden Town, I've got, you know, I've got a decent wage, I've got the expense account. Um, 
hanging out with celebrities doing you know I remember being at the Reading Festival in 98 I think it was and I'm in a toilet um, in the Rivermead Centre right next door where I think there was a big party going on afterwards and I'm doing drugs with two people whose posters were on my bedroom wall at home do, do you know what I mean because I was still a teenager I was still a kid I still had posters up of people on my you know on my walls and uh, just thinking this is like this is the fucking dream until it's not the dream anymore, do you know what I mean? Until you get like very ill, and um, and I was, you know, I was called into work, and they were like, you know, you you've got to slow down. We can, you know, it's it's, it's obvious how much, you know, the, 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 that I'm doing too many drugs, and I'm not producing the kind of work that I used to. I'm starting to self harm a little bit. I'm a little bit erratic in my behaviours, <clears throat> and they were like, you need to you need to slow down, otherwise it's all, you know, you're gonna have to leave. And I, I couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it, you know, which kind of, when, so when people talk about addiction is a choice, I'm going to go, well, you know, I, that's fucking nonsense, really. You know, no one chooses to, to, to be in a position where they're, they're, they're losing stuff out of their life because they're doing drugs or, you know, they're having to do stuff for money to buy drugs that they don't really want to be doing. I chose to do drugs. Drugs were fun. Initially, it's like, you know, and, and I, I suppose it's a bit like with alcoholism, you walk past a pub, you see people drinking, having fun. I don't know that I'm going to have a problem until it's too late. Do you know what I mean? That's when you know, you know, you want to know when you're an addict, try and, you know, when you try and stop and you can't. But at that point, it's kind of, you know, the horse is bolted. In the nineties was the was the almost like the second era of of excess, wasn't it? You had oh, the sixties so and then you had the nineties. So much cocaine, and you were part of that, weren't you? you were the yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, it was it was weird. It was a it was a really weird time, I think, because music the alter, the indie scene, the alternative music scene, was very very small, and it was a there was a purity to it. I think where the the, the people that were involved in it, it was all about the music. You know, there wasn't really much money to be made. You know, if you wanted the big money, you'd go to Sony and you'd work with, I don't know, like, you know, New Kids on the Block. It's, you know, whoever whoever was big in the early 90s, I can't fucking think right now. But, you know, if you worked with bands like, I don't know, like Ride or any of the early creation bands or, you know, bands from Food or Factory Records or whatever, there was a rough trade. There was a purity there. And, you know, these bands would be playing in backs of, back rooms of pubs and, and it was quite a cool little community. <clears throat> and then with Oasis and Blur, this kind of Britpop thing happened, and suddenly Kate Moss is there, and you know I was at an I was at an Oasis after show, and Helena Christiansen's there, and you know Johnny Depp's hanging out, and there's all this kind of stuff, and suddenly now you're at the Met Bar, you're at the Groucho Club, places where you know before they'd been the, they'd been a Dublin Castle in Camden Town having a drink, now you can get into the you can get into Brown's nightclub, and you're falling out of there at two and two in the morning. With like um, you know the cast from EastEnders behind you and the paparazzi in front taking pictures and stuff, and it was like it it was exciting. I mean, it was exciting because it felt it felt like you were somewhere you shouldn't be. You didn't really belong. You'd managed to you'd managed to smuggle your way in there. Do, do you know what I mean? Right. Uh, I mean, it got boring very very quickly because these kind of like wine bar gaffes were not really my um, my type of place. But um, but yeah, no, it was it was a mad sort of transitional time from sort of an underground or very niche music scene into you know popular culture, I suppose, or, or you know or, or the you know the overground, you know, to the point where I remember we were you know at Creation in it might be ninety six, ninety seven, and um, we had to get a security guard. 
because people would start turning up at the office. Do you know what I mean? And it was like, you know, Sony had a security guard. Sony had a security guard from as long as I knew. I mean, I, I know going back to the early 90s, possibly into the 80s, that was before my time, so I'm not 100% sure. But they had a security guard and, you know, you, you were buzzed in through like a little clicker machine, you know, you know like, a, like a tube thing. Um, so you couldn't just walk into Sony. Creation, you could, you know, before you could just walk in. And then suddenly we said we, we you know, put a partition in with a code for the door and put a security guard on the door. And, we were, you know, you're getting people, you know, the paparazzi outside maybe, or you were getting people turning up expecting, like, um, Liam or Noel to be, I don't know, like, on, on, on reception or one of them's working in press today or so. I don't know what they thought, you know. Um, and it got quiet. Yeah, it got – it was it was a weird time. Do you, do you know what I mean? I mean, I remember I, um, I got death threats once. So this guy's come into – he, st- he stopped Paul Gallagher, Liam and I was older brother who I was working with at Creation Records. He would recognised him on the street and stopped him and gone to him, oh, I'm, I'm in a band. I've got a band. Can I play my demo? And he went, yeah, come see me tomorrow. He walked straight into the office and went, oh, you've got to see these two geezers. They're mad. So um, he's throwing it on me to see them. So they've turned up the next day. Security guards called me out. I've, you know, I've walked them in. I'm sat in the meeting room and the guy gives me his demo tape and, he, and I put it on. And it's it's songs that he's recorded off the radio, right? So I'm sat, I'm only, I'm, I'm a kid, right? I'm like 17 or 18 or something. I'm sat opposite him, uh, you know, with just a little table between us. And I've put this cassette on and it's, it's songs recorded off the radio with the DJ talking in between the records. And he's going, yeah, and when I wrote this song, this is what I was feeling. And this song is about this. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And, um... He starts going, yeah, what I want, so I want a record deal, and I also want a publishing, I want to start my publishing company up through you. I'm thinking, well, we've, we've already got a creation songs, that's a publishing company, so we're not, that's not what we do. So I, I went through this whole pantomime for about 15 minutes, within 20 minutes, of listening to these songs, that like, like George Michael's songs, stuff that clearly he had nothing to do with, right? And then um, I've sort of gone, look, I, it's not, I, I've got no sense, so I'm going to have to play it to my bosses and you know, my head of A&R and, you know, see what they think. And so I've gone out, explained what happened. They went, fold it up, get a rejection letter, a you know, standard rejection letter, thanks for sending, thanks for your demo. It's not quite what we're looking for right now, but keep up the good work. And uh, don't sign it. He goes, take your name off the bottom of it, don't sign it, and um, put an envelope and leave it on reception for us. So I've come into work the next morning, like late because I'd probably been up all night doing drugs again I was never on fucking time for work <clears throat> and um, the, the security guard's gone to me them fellas have like they've, they've been here twice already looking for you and um, they was like where's that envelope and I was like oh shit it's on my desk and we can't get it so I'll give it to him they've come back again he's given the envelope when they found out they, that, that we hadn't picked them up to sign uh, their mate, their make believe band. They've gone like mad and and basically threatened to kill me, threatened to kill everyone in the office. They had to evacuate the fucking office. Right? So everybody got taxis home, and for like a month, I had to get a taxi to and from work, and they wouldn't let me out of work on my lunch hour. So I would have to go and get me my my lunch because of these um, these two guys. And so, so you know, so it was a level of 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 uh, exposure that I wasn't used to. Do, do you know what I mean? When you, I mean, I, it's only looking back now you realise how big Oasis were, for example, who were the big band when we had the Super Fairy Animals, Primal Scream and, you know, all the other bands. But really, you know, Oasis were the, the ones that everyone knows. They're the ones everyone wants to talk to me about. No one, no one wants to talk to me about, about Primal Scream, do you know what I mean? Or Hurricane Number 1 or something. It's always fucking Oasis. 
but yeah, at the time you didn't really notice it. Do you know what I mean? But you kind of it was like it was yeah. Yeah, because you you were in it. You was in that bubble. Because when we've had discussions in the past, I, I've been guilty. I've been like, well, unfortunately, as much as I, I have to admit it, Oasis were because I, I used to be in a band. I used to, I, I was tragically in a band with my brothers. We had the whole Oasis dynamic. <laughs> you know, we were, we were like Kent Oasis in our in our eyes. And we probably, there probably is a demo disc at Creation somewhere of us on it somewhere. Um, and it, and they are they're the ones that I was like I'm, I know you've answered a million questions on Oasis, but and then yeah, I kind of I mean, get I'm quite happy to talk about it. It's funny. I, I went into Parliament a couple of months ago and um, to meet a friend of mine. And Jonathan Ashworth, who's the Shadow Health Secretary, uh, we follow each other on Twitter, and he's he's a child of an alcoholic and stuff. So you know we we we've got stuff in common about you know around addiction and stuff. And um, so my friends text him and said to him, "Oh, <clears throat> the secret drug addicts here, come down and say hello." So we've come, he's come down, we started talking and stuff. And like he was like, you know, he's from Manchester, and he's about my age. So he was a teen, you know, he was a young man, and Oasis. And the first thing he did was go, oh, "I saw you know this one time I met Noel and da 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 da." da. And um, and it's you know it was fun. It's funny. I don't you know I've got no. It's weird. After all that went south, and I got I got really sick. You know, with uh, you know, just before I, I I managed to clean up, I for years I couldn't talk about it. Like I'd be you know I'd be at I'd know Narcotics Anonymous meeting, or I'd be out with friends of friends who didn't know my you know my past, and it might come up in conversation, and it would like it would blow people's minds. They'd be like, you used to work for Oasis. I was like, well, yeah, you know, and it wasn't a big thing. And there was a level of like shame and embarrassment because, you know, I, I, it all ended quite badly, you know, um, because I wasn't still doing it, all that, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I got to a place where I was about about four or five, about four or five years abstinent. And I was like, you know what, it's it's all right. Everything comes to an end. Everything has a beginning and a middle and an end. And that's okay. And I, you know, I'm proud that I got to do this stuff and be part of something that that so many other people wish they were. Do, do you know what I mean? You know, stuff that I took for granted. Like, you know, I met I met Joe Ramone. And I still I still kick myself out. So I, Joe Ramone was in was in the creation offices. We put a record out by uh, Ronnie Spector, um, Phil Spector's ex-wife, and Joey sung on the B side. So. He would, they would, they was over, and uh, she was over doing some some press for it, and I think he just came as well. I think I've come out of my office, and he's just standing there, and I just went, "All right, Joey, how's it going?" Shook his hand and walked off. I'm like 20 years old, and he died two years later, I think, a year later. I think, oh, I wish I'd got a signature. I'd wish I'd, I'd asked for, a, you know, got a picture. Someone must have had a camera, you know, in in, in work. We had a press department, but it was just so. It's just what I did, do you know. What I mean? It was just my life. It was just what I did for a living. I was so used to it from such a young age that I was just, I took it all for granted. Do, do you know what I mean? And as, after after being away from it for a few years, I kind of look back and go, do you know what? It was. It's all right. I'm I'm quite proud that I've been able to be at these places and these events and these things and and stuff. Do you know what I mean? That's good that you got that sense of perspective back on it. That it is nostalgic and and yeah. in, a, in a nice way because, like you said, all you got that lived experience going through it. You quite often don't stop to look around, do you? No, especially with the fast-paced lane that you was in. Yeah, um, that that must have been difficult at the time to be in that fast-paced lane, being so young, having all these celebrities around you, and as you said, the excess is there on your on your plate, quite literally. Can you? I know it's going to be a ridiculous question, but can you kind of 
summarise what that period of your life was like? Unmanageable would be the one word <laughs> I would use. I'm overwhelming. It was. I look back now and I I, I realise how emotionally immature I was. You know how I, I just I couldn't. You know some you a lot you a lot a lot of times you see people and they 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 you know they can't deal with failure. Do you know what I mean? They sort of crash and burn after a, a, a spectacular failure. Say, I I I look back and I struggled with the the mediocre level of success I had. I couldn't handle it. I just I didn't have it in me to um to to kind of emotionally navigate it. Like people would in, people would introduce me as as the guy. Oh, this he works for Oasis. You know, and I couldn't, you know, I was, I did, um, I was an omnibus. I was, there was an omnibus about Alan McGee, the man who discovered Oasis or something it was called. And they interviewed me. And I was really, I was like, I think I pestered them. I was like, when are you going to interview me? You're going to interview me? And they, so they did me, right? And I was the only person that hadn't been at creation from the very beginning that got interviewed. Right? None of the current staff got interviewed or anything, right? They just, they just, and they went, they came and they went, right, we're going to do that interview with you today. Because they'd been following McGee about for like two weeks or something. I'm going to do that interview with you today. And I just fucking panicked. Went and did a couple of lines. And uh, I've come back. And, you know, the videos, the, the, the footage is on YouTube somewhere. And I look anxious. I'm chain smoking. <clears throat> I'm rambling absolute nonsense. Like, so it's like, just, it's supposed to be like a conversation between me and Alan. And it's just absolute gibberish on, on, on my part. Do, do you know what I mean? And so that went out on the telly. It was on BBC One and... Then there was a, uh, a Creation Records documentary that I'm kind of briefly featured in. But I, you know, I just, I couldn't handle that, you know, that, that, that success. My, I, I just, I just, you know, I, had to, I, I medicated more, I think, because of that than if I'd have failed, you know, which is, I don't think many, I've never really heard anyone sort of talk about it in that context. Do, do you know what I mean? Someone does, someone fails and they can't cope. So they, they, they self-medicate or they do whatever they do. I couldn't handle doing well. Do you, do you know what I mean? Which I is bizarre, and it's yeah, yeah. I do. I from from the, the conversations we've had with a lot of people that have suffered with addiction. I think yeah. I think you're really on a point that doesn't get spoken enough about. Is that it's that swinging from ring to ring, and where you're never quite satisfied where you're at. Um, there's so many different factors that are playing a part, uh, and then it becomes uh, almost like a track of maintenance that you you know you're constantly having to keep. You know, you're, I'm mixing metaphors like anything, here, but yeah, <laughs> having to get your head above water yeah. and constantly like that. And, and well, there's you, the there's the, the 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 ego and arrogance that I have. I think I have naturally, which is my defence mechanism for my 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 low self esteem, mm-hmm. right? Coupled with when you're doing an incredible amount of drugs, especially cocaine, if you've got an issue with with ego. Anyway, that's you know that's a that's a match that's a, that's that's horrific. Do you know what I mean? That is you know that's not something you kind of want to get into. So now you know it's my my arrogance is off the chart. One minute, so I walk into a room, and either everybody in the room is a cunt, or I am. Someone is though. Do, do you know what I mean? I can't just. I'm not comfortable just being me in a room with other people. You, do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think we're we're better now. I think in society of having that that anxiety conversation because it's most of us to a certain degree suffer with what is called hangxiety, where 
being out there in a socialising environment. I, I, I've, I've said it a million times over the mic that I'm more comfortable in front of an audience than in an audience because you've got an element of control being in front yeah. of people, but being in it, the amount of awareness you have to have and the small talk and all that sort of thing. And I think you're really onto a point there that you know that that degree of anxiety is constantly going to be bubbling. So what do you do with that? Yeah. Where does it where does it manifest, and then it potentially draws you into. And it's either what, you know it's one extreme or the other, mm. as opposed to just a healthy sort of medium of you know what I'm me and that's okay, you know, and and that's enough. Mm. I remember you know early recovery. A friend of mine. Every time I I do I'd say something mental or, you know, I was acting erratically. I'd go out. He'd go. You you're enough. It's okay, you're it. And I'd be, I'd go, enough of what? Enough. And I couldn't understand what he meant. Yeah. And now I kind of, you know, years down the line, I, I, I get completely what he means, you know. So what would you advocate like now if you, if you was to have a policy that you can write on how we deal with addiction uh, and drugs and mental health? Uh, what would that blank slate look like to you if you was the legislator that we could do something? How could we progress this? Oh, that's a tough one. Chuck it on you. Like um, <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? You're now you're neither prime minister, basically. I'm. You know, I'm not too sure. I mean, you know, it's it's different. It's weird for me. I tend not to try and get too caught up in. You know, I I look. I, I'm. I'm more interested in the the kind of health implications of addiction. Do, do you know what I mean? As opposed to the overall you know, war on drugs or, or, you know, how you combat that or, or, you know, change that for for the better. You know, it's weird because a lot of my experiences with drugs were, in, especially towards the end, were incredibly negative. There's part of me that's like, oh, you know, drugs are bad. But I'm aware that there's someone somewhere, <laughs> definitely not me, is able to do drugs and is, is okay in their life. Do, do you know what I mean? Pays their taxes, works raises a family or do you know what I mean but you know beyond that I'm also aware that you can't stop people doing what they're going to do do you know what I mean you, you know it's like I <clears throat> I remember I would, I'd you know towards the end of my using I would um, you know it's, it's, and I think this is quite common for a lot of people that do a lot of drugs they end up becoming a, a drug dealer simply because they can get drugs so people say, "Can you get me some?" Yeah, you're the conduit. Yeah, do you yeah. know? Oh, you know. So I'm going. You know, there's like a, a thing, a party, a festival, or whatever it is, an event, and I'm going to go and get. I'm going to get some drugs. Oh, can you get me some? Can you get me some? And then suddenly everyone's asking you, and you're kind of going, "Well, if I buy an ounce, <laughs> I get my bit for free." Yeah, yeah. You know, that's common sense. Do you know? I mean, I'm. You know, so I ended up kind of in that situation. You know, where I was a very small time drug dealer. And I would go and pick up, I'd pick up like an, you know, an ounce or two of Coke. And I lived 10 minutes away from where I'd go and get it. And I'd be, I'd, I'd stop at a phone box halfway. And I'd get, you know, I'd have the phone under my, you know, on my shoulder, under my ear, like I was making a phone call. And I'd have this, 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 this big bag of Coke, you know, a couple of grams off of Coke, say. And I'd be like, you know, whacking a line out on the, um, you know, the little, the little ledge you get in phone boxes. And I'm in, a, I'm in a glass box that can be seen from all angles, you know, and I can't wait till I get home. Now, if I'd have got caught, you know, I'd have gone to prison. Do, do you know what I mean? That would have affected 
you know, I wouldn't have been able to go to America unlike Michael Gove. Do you know what I mean? I would, you know, there would, you know, there's certain jobs that, you know, that I've just finished a job now that luckily my last conviction kind of ran out. So I was able to to get clearance to to do. So, you know, I'm aware that keep making keeping stuff illegal doesn't stop people, especially if they're in the, the midst of, a, of an illness like addiction, you know, and going to prison for me would not have helped me. That would have been like the worst place you could have you could you could have put me do you know what i mean so you know i definitely don't think that you know addiction you know people suffering from addiction should be sent to prison i definitely feel it's a it's a health issue not a criminal issue you know any crimes that i ever committed were always around my addiction you know i'm not a criminal you know i haven't done it you know, i haven't committed a crime since i stopped taking drugs funnily enough do, do you know what i mean and i think it's a really crucial point you made there about how people that do get into dealing can do it you know, without even realising, because I had this conversation You're not even with a someone. Drug dealer, are you? Just sorting your mates out. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I because, this... You know, I'm not going to say no to my friends, especially if it means my bits for free. And and you, I had this conversation with someone quite close to me that um, that as we're recording this, the the whole um, national story is going on about Michael Gove and Andrew Lebson and all the other Tory candidates all that's that have used <laughs> drugs in the past. So this this is why it's quite current to this this conversation at the moment. So the person that close to me said, "Yeah, but dealing's different, isn't it? That that's that is a bad one." And I had to I had to make them stop and think of how it's it's not one linear line of right. You're a consumer, then you're a dealer. It integrates more than society likes to realise. And as you said, so you're consuming drugs. You go and sort your your mates out. Next thing you know, well, they're you know, telling their mates and everyone else. Oh, that was you know that was you know that was a nice bit. Can you get me a bit? And it suddenly and then your risk of prosecution goes up and up and yeah. up, and the, and the years that you can get for it go up and up and up. Purely because again, you're the, you're the the linchpin of this 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 little social circle, and and that's why it is so crucial. And the same with like you mentioned with sex worker rights as well. Um, I'm going to drop a plug to one of our friend organisations called Release, who do both drug work and sex worker rights. Um, it is about the individual and their circumstances, and yeah. I think you've done a really good job of projecting how different people's circumstances are in life, especially yours. With the, I mean, you're, you've got a story that could be a book, and I'm hoping you will get a book, Bill. <laughs> uh, I've been asked if I'd be interested in writing one, but I'm kind of, I'm, yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm a bit weird about it. Yeah, I'd like to, but it's too much work. Yeah, I, well, I, I think that there, there's definitely one in you. So if it ever gets to the point where you do, then definitely let me know because <laughs> <laughs> that would be incredible. Um, but we're going to have to wrap up because I can't believe that this is one of those conversations that it's gone so, so quick um, because I could I could speak to you for about another three hours, I reckon. I reckon we could get like a TV special. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I've only just started. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. It's like... I, I've barely said a word, and it's just been—it's been incredible. I've been sitting back, going, "Right, just, just let him go, just let him go." Um, just so to quite kind of wrap up a little bit now, is that where do you think that your your journey is going to sort of take you within what you're doing now? Do you still want to be doing outreach in say two, three years' time? Do you know what? I've got no idea. I've not—I don't—I haven't even thought about it to be honest with you. It's—it's um, it's just something I do. It's something I kind of enjoy doing. It's something that I'm, I seem to be good at. You know, people react positively towards me. So, um, you know, it seems to, I seem to be good. Um, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. I so say I just started off doing it. And now I'm getting kind of, you know, people are writing blogs about top 10 addiction influencers on social media. And like my name's 
like getting mentioned. So I'm not having that. I'm not. Really? I'll, ex- I'll take it, but I'm not having it. Do you know what I mean? Well, so I think that's a made to say, no, you're having that. It's, um, you, you are doing it's, a good it's job. It's weird. It seems, to, it, it seems to be quite a niche thing what I'm doing. There's lots of people that are open about their, 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 their recovery or, you know, their addiction podcast accounts and stuff. But no one that kind of is doing what I'm doing, which is slightly different to to that. Do you know what I mean? Which maybe that's why it's been that's why it works so well. Why it's been like as popular as it as it has been. Do you know what I mean? But um, I, I don't know. I mean, who knows what the future holds? You know. I think you've no been idea. very good at using your story, but also then deflecting it onto the wider issues and how it affects everybody. You've not put yourself in the frame. You've you've used your own experience, but then you've broadened it right out to give everybody an accessible point into this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, that's what I, that's what I try to do. So again, that's one of the reasons why keeping the account anonymous is it's not about me as such. Do, do you know what I mean? Sometimes I, I will, you know, I disclose stuff, I will talk about addiction and other times I'll just post articles or, you know, someone else's story and, you know, and, um, you know, be it from the point of view of a, of a child of an alcoholic or an addict, you know, or, you know, I posted, you know, I do a lot of stuff around sex work as well. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, like, you know, women's autonomy around what, you know, the choices they make and and the LGBT stuff as well. And, um, but yeah, no, I try to sort of, I can remove myself because, you know, I don't want to be the story as such on, on the account. Because I think, you know, we were talking about earlier about social media can be a force for good or for bad and, there is a very nice. I mean, it's, it can be very narcissistic, but I suppose you know it's it's an account in your name. Why would you not talk about yourself? Do, do you know what I mean? Whereas mine's not, so it allows me to to not sort of get caught up in that. I suppose. I think you've, I I don't know if it's the right terminology, but I think you've got a healthy sense of self awareness in that sense that that you, as much as I think you should put yourself in the frame because I, I'm a big fan. I don't. My ego's desperate for it. Every time, <laughs> every time I get another thousand followers, yeah. every time I get mentioned as like some sort of a um, influencer, I'm like, people should know who I am. It's you gratifying, know? isn't it? And I, I know someone. That's... Yeah, but if I'm, a, you know, I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't need that. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's unhealthy for me because it's like, um, you know, the stuff you hear in, over the last year or, or so about um, social media addiction. That's what I was going to ask. And yeah. the guy with, you know, the, the guy that invented the like button on Facebook, yeah. you know, and it's what it feeds, you know. And I, I mean, I've gone to schools and done stuff, you know, spoken about addiction, in, in a, you know, in schools. And you're talking about social media and stuff and you say to him, like, how many, how many selfies will you take before you, you know, before you post one? And they'll sort of, you know, the, you know, the, they'll they'll twenty thirty pictures, and they'll pick the one that they look nicest in, or they'll delete. You know, that picture didn't get enough likes, so they'll delete it. Yeah. And it's so it's not even about putting a picture up of where they're at, or you know, to 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 you know, as a memento of being at a concert or being at where you know on holiday. It's it didn't get enough likes, so the picture comes down. Do, do you know what I mean? So. It's kind of I'm kind of forcing myself to to you know to not get caught up in that kind of thing, but it's not me. So you know it's because I, I de- you know I'd love people to know like, oh you're wow you're that guy your account's great I love it do you know what I mean? But people I mean some people know I've met up I meet up with people that follow me you know um, the girls from Ugly Mug who are a uh, sex workers um, group based in Manchester, I ended up at the Gay Porn Awards the other week. Oh, wow. It, yeah, wow, indeed. I, um, I, I thought it was going to be like the BAFTAs or something. It was like, the, you know, Gay Porn Awards, porn. I just heard awards. So arrived in a, a shirt and shoes to be greeted by men in chaps 
and um, and like dog muzzles, which seem to be very big on the gay scene at the moment, oh. right? And uh, it was an experience. It was a great. It was a great evening. Uh, a friend of mine, Jason Domino, uh, invited me, and uh, there was a few people there I knew, and the ugly the girls from Ugly Mugs were there. And um, you know we we talk on on Twitter and stuff. So you know I got up and introduced myself. So it's not like I'm not, you know, completely like unknown. Do, do you know what I mean? But yeah, I just I just don't think it would end well with my ego to put a face to the to the name. Well, that's interesting because like I I was going to ask you at the end of this how how are we going to do the photos for this? Do you want to have your face in it or do you want to be? masked in some sort of way no one told me there was going to be photos <laughs> well, again we don't, we don't have to take photos it's no, more just um, like the cover image that we're going to do yeah no we can we'll work yeah we'll work something we'll out work something yeah. out so that'd be interesting to find out what the podcast image is going I'll to look like to, I'll, have to go, I'll have to go plastic bag like the rubber bandits or something yes that's true <laughs> or I've got a well, um, I thought that so I did an interview for um, the one show last I year I saw that yes and uh, oh, tell me about it. I didn't think anyone would see it no one told me everyone watches the one show. I, who watches the one show? Apparently everybody and their mums. Like all my friends' mums text me saying, oh, I saw you on the telly, brilliant. And um, so it was about Neville Southall. It wasn't about me. So it was about Neville Southall and how he uses social media. So Neville's messaged me saying that they, they want to speak to you. And I thought, you know what, it's, it's for Neville. Neville's really humble. He doesn't, he doesn't shout about what he does. You know, he's had lots of opportunities to do interviews, especially because of the, the stuff he does with sex workers and transgender groups. But he always refuses and says, speak to the groups, speak to the people that actually do it. And um, he, just, he, was, he did this. And I thought, you know, what? it's my opportunity to kind of pay him back and let people know. I think people deserve to know, you know, what he does. So I kind of agreed to it and um, was thinking, how can I do this without? It's a Skype interview right, on the telly. I could do it with like a paper bag over my all these mad my head just went mental with ideas. And I just thought, you know what? I'm trying to be taken seriously as a serious account. If I turn up on the telly with a paper bag with a face drawn on the front, I mean that's definitely not somebody I would inbox asking for, you know, signposting yeah. for do you know what I mean? Or or something. So I had to kind of wipe my mouth and uh, and go on it. But again, it was like I didn't because it was done on Skype and in my house. I didn't really, it didn't really feel like a real interview. So I didn't, I, you know, they were, I, I barely, you know, I was, I was, I put a jump on. They were lucky I put a jump on. I was gonna, I, like, with like no top on, I didn't have a shave, <laughs> I hadn't brushed my hair. It was just horrific. But, um, well, but my, yeah. my other half saw it and she went, oh, he's hot. So, <laughs> so you got her. Cool. Yeah. I love that. And <laughs> <laughs> totally. uh, you should get like a paper mache head like Frank Sidebottom. Oh, that, that would be the dream, wouldn't yeah. it? I'm a huge Sidebottom fan. That would work. That would be fantastic. I could get like a little Frank. Yes. Yes. Amazing little secret drug addict. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so give us give us a quick plug again. So what's your what's your social media account? Because you just started a Facebook as well. Yeah, you? just start the Facebook page and a Facebook group as well for people to kind of uh, the group's private, the page isn't. So join both. Um, the page is just a it's some of the content from the Twitter, but also different content. You know, what I mean, it's a, not appropriate for Twitter, say. And the group is just for all sorts of stupid shit. So, it's, you know, stuff that's funny about addiction, stupid memes, people asking for help, you know, peer-to-peer stuff. So I've just kind of set that space up. And, um, yeah, it's Secret Drug Addict. So it's S-C-R-T-D-R-U-G-A-D-D-I-C-T. Um, and that's on both platforms. And, um, yeah, join it. And if you're listening on the cast app, it'll be scrolling along at the bottom. So you can just click on it and then and go there. But thank you so much for doing this because, again, I, I, I really could speak to you for about another two hours. Yeah, there's loads of stuff I forgot to say. Well, I reckon, as long as you're all right, 
I reckon you'll be a repeat guest if that's okay. That'd be fantastic. It's the joys of recovery. I never used to get asked back for anything. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Secret Drug Addict. You did amazing on that. And make sure you do follow him on Twitter because there's all sorts that he does on there. And it's at Secret Drug Addict, which is S-C-R-T, Drug Addict. Right, and I, I need to do some thank yous, don't I? Because we always need to make sure that we recognise the producers of this, which is Nikki, Tristan and John. Thank you so much for all you do on this podcast and making this making us listenable and, and, and watchable and all those sort of things. Thank you to John Harris at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you for all what you do. And, of course, the Distraction Pieces Network as well. Make sure you listen to every single one because we do ask questions. We will. Especially Dan Lasak as well. I need to give Dan Lasak a shout-out for falling forward because he gave us a lovely shout-out recently with his episode with Marcus Brigstock. So if you're listening on your cast app to this one, I'll be scrolling his episode to that episode with Marcus Brigstock right now yeah so click on it now and on that note i'll bid you farewell because i've got some more editing to do lots more podcasts coming up so stay tuned subscribe like or review all those sort of things give us some adulation and yeah just all those nice things right bye behind your barricades yeah but how long can i stay Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.